Well, good morning, Lighthouse. Good morning. You guys ready for the Word of God this morning? Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. Today, we're going to be in what we can call familiar territory in Scripture. Uh, The passage, and basically we're going to be reading a prayer, is going to be familiar to those even who would say, no, we're not Christians, we're outside the faith, or all that. We're going to be focusing on prayer this morning, a theology of prayer. And I want you to actually take attention to the title of the message, Understanding the Model Prayer, in parentheses. The passage we're going to read, you're going to mostly hear this or recognize it as, well, that's the Lord's Prayer. And even many churches would see this passage and say, oh yeah, that's the Lord's Prayer. However, it's not correct to label it this way. And I'm going to tell you why. But rather, the model prayer is what this should be seen as. I've seen others call it the disciples' prayer, and that works too for other reasons. But the real Lord's prayer, as in his prayer he prayed, can be found in John 17 in the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was taken to trial. We read it this morning during the Lord's Supper. And this prayer we will read about is meant to be modeled after rather than to actually be prayed Jesus was actually setting an example of prayer, not a matter of a personal prayer towards God. And if you're unfamiliar with this prayer we're talking about, we're actually going to read it shortly. But before I go any further, I want to make sure we're on the same page of what we mean by prayer. It's something that's supposed to be simple and can be misdefined and misunderstood by many. See, prayer has been defined, well, it's just about asking and receiving of God. While that is included in prayer, it's not exactly what prayer is. Prayer has been defined in the dictionary as a solemn request for help or expression of things addressed to God or an object of worship. And that sounds great, but it's in prayer is not exactly what prayer is. Something's still lacking in those definitions. To define prayer in an easy way, it's simple communication or conversation with God. Prayer is communication or conversation with God. It's an act of worship voluntarily, and there's many types of prayers. We're going to read first from First Timothy chapter two, verse one. It says, "I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men." Here we are reading four main Greek words used in prayer for our New Testament. We have "dasis," which is a supplication. See, this type of prayer is making a request towards God, specifically regarding. Yourself, Greg, do you have these two monitors muted here? All right, cool. Something's echoing a little bit. We have prosuke, which is general for prayer. It's a generic use. This word would be used for corporate kind of prayers, consecration prayers. The prayer we basically did earlier, the prayer we're going to do at the, dism- at the dismissal of our service. It's even used in the Psalms at what you can call imprecatory prayers. Uh, the kind of prayers you probably don't want to find yourself more doing, of, but they exist. And we have this one, it's antuxis, it's an intercession. This type of prayer is embedded with supplication type of prayers, but it's not on behalf of yourself, it's on behalf of others, an intercession prayer. We do this prayer often, and no better example of this is, of course, Christ himself. We have, last but not least, eucharistia. Eucharistia is a giving of thanks, a thanksgiving prayer. This is a type of prayer where you express your gratitude and thanksgiving to Lord. And in my opinion, this ought to be the starting point and focal point of your prayers. 
Praying to the Lord, of course, is not just sticking to just one of these prayers. Well, I had to do one at a time. You do, many of these are embedded and all there. But often these are going to overlap when you go to the Lord in your prayers. And I know this might seem like a lot of info, but bear with it. It's crucial for a believer, especially young believers, to have a rich theology and understanding of prayer and a proper understanding. But more importantly, before your head is in it, I want your heart to be in it. In our main text this morning, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 15, Jesus is preaching in normally what's called a sermon on the mount. And he gives this. He says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you that they have their reward, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth it in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they should be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, and here it is, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For ye forgive your men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for being such an awesome and amazing God, a name above all names, Lord, a name that we can run safe into, Lord, as our strong tower, Lord. So, Father, forgive us this morning, Lord, as we you know, cannot get through a single day without failing to serve you in some other way and always falling short, Lord, whether it's failure to do the things that we should have done or failing to do, to do the things that we should not have, to do the things that we should not have done, Lord. We thank you for your righteousness your grace, your mercy, and thank you for always being such an awesome God who is above everything that we have. May we bring you worship from our hearts first and especially in the listening and ear to the message. Thank you for what you had to bring us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first we're going to see he starts from verse 5 through 8. He about the heart's motive for prayer in the first place. And first we see we do not pray with intention to be noticed by men. It says, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that thou may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. See, when we pray, we are commanded not to do as the hypocrites. This is the first New Testament case where this word hypocrite is used. The original word is what you would use for an actor. The idea behind the word is someone who tells others not to live or do a certain thing but and then they themselves actually do it. Basically, you can say a phony, a fraud, a fake. No person would ever hold that title, oh yeah, I'm a hypocrite. No, t- no person with sanity would hold that title in pride. And there would be two main places where that person would pray like a hypocrite. They might pray at the synagogue at the time of public prayer. They might pray on the street at the appointed times of prayer, which would be 9 o'clock, noon, and 3 p.m., And these people, Jesus described, would not do so just because they're doing publicly. They would do so with the intention to be seen by other people. 
Because he's not teaching that, well, public prayer is wrong. He's teaching his focus on prayer in order to be seen by the public. Do you see the difference? Public prayer is not wrong. It's to be seen by the public is where it's wrong. See, their interest was to be heard by men and witnessed by men, but not heard by God. We should never pray with the intention of impressing another person. Jesus already said they have their reward. There will be no reward from God in heaven. They better enjoy it in full because that's the best they're going to get. Temporal recognition by men. Oh, wow, he said such an awesome prayer. What a great guy. He knows the intention of these prayers because our God knows the heart of every man. But instead, he says, pray in a private place you can get with God. He says, but when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and the Father which is in secret shall reward thee openly. Jesus said, go into your closet. Now, some people are thinking, well, that, how's that going to work? My closet's full of clothes and basically my storage place. It's going to take a bit. Well, he's not literally saying your closet go in there. Closet is a, is a word here for where store and where treasures were kept. He wasn't literally speaking to go into it, but if that's what it takes for you, then yeah, get a thing. I think there's a movie out there called War Room where she actually dedicates her closet for prayer. If that's what it takes to get along with God, then so be it, but he's not making the command is enter to your literal closet. He was not prohibiting the private prayer, but he's emphasizing that prayers are meant between you alone to God. And additionally, setting aside that alone time of the Lord is crucial to your walk with him. And he also says here, do not pray using vain repetitions. I think this is a very important verse when we receive the next passage. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. See, the idea behind vain repetitions is to be words and then no meaning from the heart. I've met a lot of people, I'm not going to call my name or anything, where they will basically memorize prayers that have already been written long ago, and they'll just repeat it to God, repeat it among and an irony to consider is that the prayer, this prayer specifically, has been memorized and quoted over and over and again by millions. Now, it's not necessarily wrong to memorize it, but they'll repeat this prayer and say it, even before churches, as if it's going to have them some kind of special reward from God or a special position with God. But in nowhere in this passage does Jesus' teacher say, hey, you want to learn to pray? Well, we'll pray these words. Rather, he taught after this what? manner. After this manner, the model, he taught it as a pattern, not a substitute. See, because when you stick to just quoting this prayer when you go to the Lord, you're at risk of that same vain repetition that these hypocrites were that Jesus had warned about. And this not doesn't just go for the model prayer. It goes for many of the prayers. There's been many great prayers that have been coined, but they're not meant to be here. You pray these to God, rather modeled and mannered after. There are many good famous prayers, and they're documented, but they're not to be repeated. They're to be modeled. Instead, pray with transparency, he teaches. Be not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye need of before ye ask of him. Knowing that our prayers aren't meant to inform God. An amazing truth that we can grasp, that before we even pray, to the Lord. He already knows everything that we need before we ask. We say it all the time when we're doing our prayer requests. When are we praying? Well, we're praying now. We're lifting our prayers to God because he's no stranger to our problems, but how he calls us to lay it all down to him. 
There's never going to be a moment when you're praying to God and find before. It's like God's not going to be like, man, I just can't believe you would do something like that. He already knows and he invites you openly as his loving Heavenly Father to express it, to declare it all out to him. Prayer has also been defined as our counter for anxiety and worry. Philippians 4, 6 says this, Be careful, that word means anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So in other words, simply be real with the Lord. After all, does he not already know? You can't hide anything from God. Then later here, he gives our model. He invites us first to approach him as our Father. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven. He is our heavenly Father. I'm going to argue the best kind of Father, especially to those who even have a bad relationship with their earthly Father. See, he doesn't invite us to approach him like the King of Kings, even though he is our King of Kings. He doesn't invite us to approach him as judge over the earth or our most mighty being in all of the universe, even though he is, but invites us to say our Father. He is our Heavenly Father, reminding us of his holiness and his glory. Psalm 68.5 says this, A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. See, this illustration God gives us to understand our relationship with him is like a parent in a child. And our major implication is if he's called to be our Heavenly Father, then we must be his children. See, many of us here, we know what it's like to be what a good dad is like. I'm blessed to have a great dad. I strive to be a great dad to my two kids. And we've got many amazing dads in this church. We know how to give good gifts to our children. Now, we need to make this comparison to God giving gift to his children. Matthew seven eleven says this later in that same sermon. If ye be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? We have a good, good, heavenly Father. However, you may have heard the statement that we are all God's children. We're all God's children. However, is this statement true according to the word of God? It is not as offensive as it may sound, it is not true. There's only one sense of truth in that statement that we are all God's part of God's children in the sense of his creation. We all come from God. The Bible distinguishes God's creation and one of God's children. The reality that we have to face is that we are not all God's children. All of humanity is not God's children. Only those who know him as Savior are. First John 3.10 distinguishes this. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness, is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brethren. See, before we came to know the Lord, before we came to know him as Savior, you were a child of the devil. Even if you would disagree with that, it doesn't make it any less true. Only those who are washed by the blood of Jesus, that is saved, you've put your trust in, in Jesus Christ, are now called the children of God. He adopts you and brings you a part of his family. But there is good news into it. Yes, not everyone is going to God's children. Everyone can be. Anyone can become a child of God. The gospel is by the only means that is possible. You can indeed become one of God's kids and approach him as your heavenly father. 
in our prayers, they should have be they should have a passion for God, for His will, and for His glory. He says this: "Hallowed be Thy name." In verse nine, "Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in earth as it is in in heaven." See, after addressing God, prayer moves now into the worship. We recognize the greatness of our heavenly Father. Hallowed be Thy name. Hagaizio is the original word. It means to make holy, purify, consecrate, to sanctify. Meaning it's the same word that roots from where we get our word holy or set apart. Knowing that I come before God that there's no one truly like our God. I'm in a different position before our God. See, our nature loves to guard our own name and our own reputation, our own will. But we are called to lower our statuses and put God's name Above every name, thy kingdom come. We should live with that earnest desire for God's kingdom, for what God wants to be established. In heaven, there's no disobedience, no obstacles. On earth, there is many disobedience and many obstacles. We should desire where we're at to be like where God is. And our prayer should align our will to God's. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. See, as citizens of Jesus' kingdom, we would want to see his will be done freely on earth as it's free in heaven. However, the heart of many of our prayers we've prayed have been set on my will be done rather than thy will be done. Consider Jesus' prayer. Luke twenty-two forty-two says this, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. He's talking about the cru- the crucifixion to come. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine be done. Too often we are so overwhelmed by the greatness of our difficulty that we fail to see the greatness of our God. See, and our prayer should also freely bring our needs to God. Verse 11 says this, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, when he said, give us this day our daily bread, he's using it in the sense as daily provisions. Coming before God, knowing you are the God that provides, you are the God who cares for me. See, when I visited Israel back in 2019, man, this phrase was absolutely enhanced by far. If you're in Israel and you want some food, you're probably going to have some bread. There is a lot of bread. and many, I didn't know there was that many kinds of bread in Israel. See, the Lord is truly our provider, and he is the carer of our needs, our gracious Heavenly Father. So Matthew 6, 26 says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not. Neither do they reap, nor they gather into barns. Yet your Father feedeth them. Are ye not better, much better than they? See, if you're a child of God, you have value before God. You have value because he died for you. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. So just as we always see provision, always the sparrows and the birds taken care of, we have a God always ready to take care of our needs. His love is stretched beyond what we can even think and find imaginable. It says, even the very hairs of your heads are all numbered. And I will say this joke every time. For some and many, that's easier than others. Our need 
for forgiveness. Where you see, see, sin is represented here under the notion of debt. Forgive us of our debt, what we owe to God, and our sins are many. They're here called debts. See, we need that continuous forgiveness from our Heavenly Father for our death. But understand, this is not talking about a relationship issue. This is a fellowship issue. We need to be forgiven, and we need to forgive the debts of others. See, because without this, without mastering this, you cannot continue walking in fellowship with God. Unconfessed sin in your life, undealt with conflict, you will go no further in your walk with the Lord. 1 John 1, 9, we do it all the time every Sunday for great reasons. If we confess, homologeo, our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is written to a believer, not a how-to-be-saved passage. See, another key reason, based on the content, he says, forgive us of our debt as we forgive the debts of others. Why I should not ever call this, or anyone should be calling this the Lord's personal prayer, is because there was no sin or debt that Jesus had to be forgiven for. Jesus at never one point would ever have to come before God and ask him to forgive him because he was without sin. That is why it is a model prayer for us, not for him. Our need for strength and our deliverance. Lord, lead us not into temptation. See, we, have, we go through this life with many trials, many temptations. We shouldn't have a desire after them, but when they do come, lean and depend on the Lord for strength knowing that the Lord's not the one who tempts people to sin, but he allows his children to go through periods of testing and many trials and many pain for us to grow. But deliver us from evil. See, the only way for us to even endure that evil is through God's deliverance. And see, prayer can make a man either cease from sin or sin will entice a man to to cease from prayer. We read it in Wednesday the other day. David, when he was after he sinned against the Lord, he says, when I have kept silent. And notice his life was just getting toils and toils and going down and down. See, when people get in this mindset, well, God just didn't really have my back in this trial, and they decide, I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to go to him, we notice the life just immediately go down, down, and down, and down. See, life was never promised to have all of these happy, joyful moments. Life is going to have much pain much suffering, much frustration and confusion. Paul called it, uh, not Paul basically had a lot of words, but Solomon had to call it vanity. It means being a frustrating enigma. You're going to go through frustrations, you just can't seem to figure it out. And that's perfectly okay that you don't have the answers that you're going to figure it out. Because I tell you and assure you, we have a Heavenly Father that does have it all figured out. If you would lean and trust and depend on Him, I trust you. Life doesn't get necessarily better and sweeter, but life is filled with so much more joy when you're depending on Him rather than what's happening in your own feelings. You do have a God that loves and cares for you, just as we read about. Our prayer should always lead us to praise and credit to where praise is due. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory and forever. Amen. What a way to end a prayer by praise and glory and thanks to our Heavenly Father. At last, he gives us, he, after he finishes that prayer, he gives something, he emphasizes something. Forgiveness. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, when it's talking about forgiveness, it's talking about real 
offenses, not petty little things out there that we think need forgiving. See, as children of God, we do not have the right or luxury to hold a grudge against another, especially, especially against a brother or sister in Christ. Romans 8.33 says this, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. You have no right, no position to hold a grudge against anybody or hold anything against someone, including yourself, being one of God's elect. Ephesians 4.31-32 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Take God's forgiveness, how he forgives you, that same forgiveness you receive is to be extended to others. I, I don't have count anymore how many times God has had to forgive me. The same to others. And it's not just because they deserve it, it's because you need to be forgiving others. You, don't, you do not ever hold yourself prisoner to that. It's crucial to our fellowship with the Lord but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Psalm 66, 18 reads this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, I have unconfessed sin, I'm, undeal I'm, de I'm not dealing with it. The Lord will not hear me. But verily, God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. That's why I urge you, you always start your prayers off with thanksgiving and confessing before God. And this is, remember, not a matter of relationship issue. This is a fellowship issue, not a salvation one. See, the salvation and relationship, that is a settled and done deal. Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. See, every time we need to forgive, we today believers being forgiven from God, it's not a re-salvation occurring, as some would like to teach, your relationship status is settled, done, deal, paid at Calvary. That's the redemption. We have a fellowship deal. See, John 5.24 says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. See, our salvation, we put our trust in the Lord to save us, is a done, settled deal. But when we sin against the Lord... It breaks and it interrupts our fellowship with Him, which must be consistently dealt with through confession, just as 1 John 1, 9 promises. I want to tell you this. No grudge, no sin in your life leaving unconfessed is ever worth staying out of fellowship with God. See, I am blessed to be a part of a Christian uh, church that is filled with prayer warriors. The mightiest men were men of prayer. You might be thinking, well, does the Lord really care and want to hear from me? Absolutely. You are valuable because of what the cross did on your behalf. You are valuable because you are one of God's kids. Not because you're all worthy and, wanted and deserve it, but it's because the Lord says you are His. If you are His and you are here for a reason, you have value before God. We often take prayer for granted. It is one of the greatest privileges that we can have as a believer. We literally have access to talk to God that we did not have before. Because of what Jesus did, we have access to God in prayer. 
See, his death on the cross for our sin, or his burial, his resurrection from the dead secured this. All we have to do, if you don't have this, if you don't have a relationship with him, I urge you to understand what the reason why Jesus came in the first place. See, many of the churches out there, they'll teach you, well, yes, Jesus died on the cross, but he basically did it to help you out. Now you need to start doing this with your life, start cleaning it up, and maybe you'll enter heaven. Maybe you'll be saved. Jesus assures us, he that has a son has everlasting life. Salvation starts now and can never be taken away because he's been passed from death into life and shall not come into condemnation. If you've never had that moment in your life where you understood what God did for you and why he did it for you, and if you've never had that moment and that time and place where you personally put your trust in Jesus. See, I've met a lot of people in my life who say, well, I think I've always just been saved because I've always just believed it. And that's great. That's a fantastic start to say how you've always believed it. But there's a difference between a trusting and what the information you've been given versus actually trusting in the shed blood to save you. Many people are stuck in the first trust stage for a long time in their life. I would hate for anyone to die in their sins because they were stuck into, well, I think it's true that Jesus died on the cross. I think it's true that the word of God is truth and it's God's word. But we need to understand that when we have the gospel, we need to know I personally, at a time and place, went to God and I placed my trust in him to save me. There's a difference in that matter. And if you have put your trust in Jesus, hallelujah, you have access to God in prayer at any time of the day. And we have instruction from God of how we can do this and walk in sweet fellowship with him. But if there's never been that time and place, what we just read in Matthew 6, that doesn't apply to you. You don't get to go to God and ask for him to do these things for you because he is in no obligation to hear the prayer of a lost man. But the offer to save you, the offer of salvation is there. I urge you to receive it, to trust in him before it's too late. See, I don't know the hearts of anyone in this room or how the message affects but I know our Heavenly Father, who knows the hearts of every man, does. We know there is no one truly like our God, far above anything else. And so what a privilege that we have to be able to take everything to God in prayer. From the morning to the noon to the end of, the end of our nights, we can have constant access to God and constant communication with Him. Don't take it for granted. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being able to even just say thank you that we get to pray for you, Lord, just as we have assurance and confidence in your word that you know everything in our hearts before we even ask, that you invite us to freely and openly pour it out before you. Thank you, Lord, for this model and manner that you laid out before us. And may we not fall into that trapment love and, and, and of, of vain repetitions, but we use it as an example to bring your name and high and exalted above ours to bring you thanks, to bring you praise in our prayers, and to ask for our daily needs, Lord, such as forgiveness and the provision that we have in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for being a God who constantly provides and constantly gives, a Lord and a God, and a God who even takes away. So, Father, I just ask that many of the people who've heard uh, the message here, Lord, I don't know how it's affected the heart, but I ask that, Lord, that you would just draw them closer and closer to yourself, Lord, because, Lord, you're the only one who can do all the saving work. You're the only one who can really keep our hearts beating. And so may we not ever have any kind of pride in our lives and depend upon ourselves, but lean upon you as our everlasting Heavenly Father. 
We love you and thank you for our time and our fellowship we get to have with one another today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul would take. <laughs> I would say amen to that. Do you pray or do you say prayers? Is there anywhere in God's Word it teaches us to say prayers? That's a good question. Answer it. Is there anywhere in God's Word it teaches us to say prayers? No. no. If, if your son only spoke to you in phrases that he was taught to say by somebody else, what kind of a relationship would you have with your son? Think about it. God is great. God is good. Now we thank him for our food. Amen. Let's eat. Is that is that thanking the Lord for what he did for us and feeding us and providing for us? And don't, don't teach your kids to say prayers. Be smarter than that. Teach your children that we can that we need to have a living, breathing, walking, talking relationship with our Father in Heaven. Amen. And, you'd, and yes, it's a model prayer. Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be Thy name. But I'll be honest with you, you don't, have, you don't always, have, always have time to say those things. A model prayer tells us the kind of things that ought to be in our conversations with God. Prayer, prayer is a conversation with God. And what do you know about a conversation? Have you ever had a conversation with a post or a dog or a cat or... What's a conversation? A conversation is is where you speak to me and I speak to you and half of a conversation is listening. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us to learn some things from nature. Does not nature itself teach you that a man... It's a shame for a man to have long hair. That's scripture. Nature teaches us things. Because God is the author of nature. Amen. What did God give you naturally? He gave you a mouth. One. He gave you something else that kind of goes with it. Only he gave you two of them. Gave you two ears. What does nature teach you? You ought to do at least twice as much listening as you do talking. But, but when we pray, how much listening do we do? You want to know how good we are at praying? 
well, we're not winning any prizes. We, we need to learn how to pray. We need to talk to God, and then we need to just stop and listen. You ever do that? I, I recommend it. Just stop and listen. What am, I, what am I supposed to hear? You just shut up and listen. It's up to God what you're supposed to hear. Amen. And one thing I know about my Heavenly Father, He is big enough and powerful enough to let me know what He wants. He has ways of doing that. I've had, I've had the Lord speak to me at times that were, it was more clear than if he, had, if he had said it out loud with a lot of volume. Unmistakable. And I've had other times that he's spoken and I'm, I'm puzzled. I, what? Lord, could you, could you make that a little plainer for me? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of lost here. But there is a huge difference between saying prayers and praying. Saying prayers is vain repetition. That's all it is. And you know what the Bible said about vain repetition. That's what the heathen do. Don't be a hypocrite like them. Have you ever heard someone pray a very eloquent prayer? I think it's pretty wonderful that somebody can do that. I wish I could do that better. But I know because I've got a promise from my father that he hears me. I know that God hears me if I don't speak out loud. And you don't have to close your eyes to pray. Amen. You can pray driving down the street. And I highly recommend you don't close your eyes when you do that. Sometimes it's just common sense. Let's, uh, let's don't teach our children about the Easter Bunny. Let's teach them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Deal? Amen. Let's don't teach them about Santa Claus. Let's teach them about the birth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, when God became a man. Amen. And let's don't teach our children to say prayers. Let's teach our children to pray. Amen. And there are prerequisites to that. I know. I know you need to be saved to pray. As an adult, if you're not saved, you can call out to God, say prayers, have a conversation, and it's going to be one way. But there's something special, and don't ask me to explain it because I can't. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Little kids, and I don't know where the size cuts off or where the intelligence takes over, 
But little kids do not have sin accounted to them until they're of an age to know better. The Word of God said, and the Bible says that where no law is, there's there's no sin imputed there. Little kids need to learn to start talking to God early. And they're smart. They figure stuff out pretty quick. And you know what you know what little kids do when they want something? It's called supplication when we ask God for something, right? Mm-hmm. You know their posture? Your little kids come to you and they say, Daddy. They say, Daddy. I don't know why it's coming to me right now, but Solomon prayed one of the most incredible examples of a prayer when the new temple that was finished was he dedicated it to God and the Bible says that Solomon got on his knees and he spread his hands forth toward heaven and he prayed there's a lot we can learn about prayer a lot when you read your Bible you know you're reading through in a year which many of you are doing amen By the way, I have a praise. I just finished mine up this week. I've already started again. But notice those times when God's people, especially the men of God that are serving God, notice those times when they pray and what they say and, and their posture and the situation. And there's just some things we can learn about prayer. We learned a lot today. Good job. Good job. I don't know where you are. Let's stand. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. Maybe you just need to come pray. Whatever you need. 